From the studios of Teeing It Up in the Swamps of Jersey, this is Teeing It Up with Jeremy Schilling for Tuesday, August 24th, the year of 2021. On the heels of Tony Finau getting his second PGA Tour win, finally, 1,975 days after the previous one. Um, and we head now to the BMW Championship at Caves Valley outside of Baltimore. Ryan Ballinger from the Golf News Net is with us both to talk the playoffs, but also he's played Caves Valley. And there's a wonderful no-laying-up um, video series called Crash Course, and after a Monday finish, that's what these guys are going to have to do. Um, anybody who uh, was playing that, that, that Monday at Liberty National is going to have to get a crash course very fast. Ryan, welcome back to Teeing It Up. Thanks, Jeremy. How are you? I am fine. Um, what a performance by the grounds maintenance staff, by the CBS technical staff to get that golf course playable, to get that broadcast on the air. And we got, after nine inches of rain, we got a fantastic day of golf and a win that all of us who follow the game week to week knew was coming. It was just a matter of when and could he get over the mental hump. And I know some people are going to throw shade because Cam Smith hit it out of bounds in the playoff. But guess what? He hit the tee shot right before. He had the honor. Striped it right down the fairway, putting all the pressure on Cam. And secondly, you cannot look past a second 930, what he did around 12, 13, 14. The second shot in the 14 from, uh, to 13 from 217. You can't overlook that. He earned every single one of this, and it was not handed to him by Cam Smith hanging out of bounds. And I hope people treat it right because this is a great win for Tony and a great win for golf. I agree that Tony played incredible golf all week. I mean, shooting 20 under par is no joke on that golf course, uh, especially with the way it looked pretty difficult at different different times on the weekend. And like you said, the back nine, and to get that up and down from the green side bunker was not easy on the 72nd yeah. hole. Yeah. Uh, that said, Cam Smith handed him the playoff by nuking it out of bounds. That second shot into 18 is very difficult, especially when it plays 490 yards. I've never played that golf course in the two times I've played it for 490. I played it for like 430, 40, something like that. And it's ridiculously hard. It's almost always into the wind. And that, that stuff to the right, which I will not talk about, is always on your mind playing that hole, regardless of where you are. Yeah. So I think Cam let him off the hook a little bit, obviously not having to think about the second shot. Nonetheless, that does not take away from the incredible golf that Finau played not only on Monday but throughout the week to get there in the first place. And it, it, he kept persevering at a time when it looked like early on in the day that John Rahm could easily have run away with it and just run and hide to the title. And it didn't work out that way. And good for Finau to keep going and get into a playoff without Rahm at all and then win the title. You know, Ryan, uh, I'm, I'm glad you brought up the Rom factor because he looked like the John Rom that rolled in Memorial. Um, you know, it, it just was, was striving. And, and you could almost hear Jim Nance, you know, prepping a call of like, you know, John Rom, you know, uh, you know, because they went off the air with Tony Finau wins the New York City Marathon. It was almost like, you know, John Rom running through the tape. And then he kind of went sideways. And for me, it was the tee shots. 15, 
Something distracted him on 17. I'm not sure. Did he say after what that was that distracted him? I forgot to look at the trade. I, I, I didn't see, but something did seem to bother him. Yeah, something did bother him. And with no fans, um, it can be anything. I'm not saying anybody misbehaved. I mean, as you know, with no fans, it can be somebody's cart moving. It can be some, right. you know, it can be a... The noises get a whole lot more definable when, when there's nobody there yep and you know it could have been an animal in the tree for all we know like you know uh, in the woods it's just very hard to to try to um figure out what those noises are um but it was very interesting to see the tee shots go haywire because that fade stopped fading and we've seen with dustin johnson this year his fade has stopped fading it's really um, something that is interesting. Um, you know, um, 15, That it's the one I keep going to. I hit every single one of those five shots the way I wanted to, and that's the unfortunate part. The bunker, the wind didn't push the ball the way that I thought, and I think that was the difference. That tee shot kind of rattled him, and he was never the same since. I, I, I don't know... Um, I think there's a lot of positives for Rom to take into the BMW and the Tour Championship, but he's not invincible, that's for sure. Well, no, I don't think anyone should be under the illusion that he that he is either. Um, I think it's important to know that even though John Rom is playing golf at a really high level, and he's playing at a high level way better than his peers, he's still pretty young and it's still really hard to win golf tournaments and it's really hard to close um and so you're gonna fall on your face and that's okay that that happens from time to time um ask tony c now i mean he's been on the receiving end of bad luck bad breaks someone pipping him all this stuff being an incredible player a, a top 20 player for like the last four years in a row and he's gotten one win out of it so it's hard to win um, that all said, it is interesting that the fade kind of either betrayed him or he lost faith in it, one or the other, you know, whatever way you want to term it, but it, it wasn't clicking for him. And the tee shot on 18 where, I mean, he had to make birdie or else uh, to get to the playoff. Um, he also got one of the worst bounces I've ever seen <laughs> uh, where that ball landed. Yeah, I could have right very easily bounced and right and he's perfectly he in play. right and went left. I mean, that stinks yeah. uh, for him. But I think this is all kind of part, I mean, this is all learning experience. It's all part of the learning curve, even for a guy who is clearly one of the top two, if not the best player in the world right now, depending on how you feel about Colin Morikawa today. Um, it's part of the experience. It happens that sometimes you get bad breaks and lose, and sometimes down the stretch what you think is going to work doesn't work uh, or you don't believe in it or whatever, that happens. But uh, I think there are a lot of positives for him to take away, like you said. I mean, he came out the gate hot. He came back in his first start after dealing with COVID issues for the second time this year uh, and played outstanding golf. So the good news is he's in a good frame of mind. He seems like he's playing just as well as he was before the Olympic debacle of not being able to play, unfortunately. And I think, and we'll see what Cave Valley looks like. I'm going to go up there tomorrow. But the, my assumption is that they're going to try to make Cave Valley pretty tough like they did Olympia Fields last year because a 
Otherwise, these guys are going to tear it up. So I think they're going to have a setup where the rough is going to be somewhat longer and thicker and deeper. Um, and that may be a good kind of callback to what he did last year in winning the BMW. Yeah, it's a good point. He uh, did get that win in that epic playoff over Dustin Johnson and, and by making that putt. And, and, and it could be the right kind of place for him. Nice segue, uh, which is why you and I are both radio and podcast people because we've specialized in uh, segues. Um, and by the way, I, I, I just looked at the transcript. John Rahm did not specify what happened on 17. He just said he didn't make his best swing. Um, so kudos to him and also kudos to him for hanging around uh, to give Tony Finau a hug after the win. Um, really classy by John Rahm, which you wouldn't expect anything else from one of the best guys on tour. Uh, 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 Ryan Ballinger. For a second, I, I want to say something about that too. Yeah, sure. Because not only did Finau get a, a nice dap up. Oh, hold on. I think my device died. Can you hear me? Yeah, I can hear you. Yep. Sorry, you might need to edit that part. Um, let me let me re- rephrase that. No, it's all good. Um, it's all good. Connection never went out. Oh, okay. Uh, what I was gonna say is, not only did uh, Rom stick around to, to dap up Finau for the win. I thought it was really cool to see Justin Thomas, who played with Finau, give him what amounted to not quite a bro hug, but pretty close because I think he he thought he was going to win. Uh, won the 72nd green after that up and down. I mean, Thomas looked genuinely happy for Tony Finau to have made that up and down. That six-footer was not easy. Uh, and to get, get it in that spot, to get into the playoffs, I think really shows how a lot of these guys feel about Tony Finau. I think that the, so many people seem genuinely happy for him, even the people that were trying to beat him. Um, I think that speaks to, to Tony Finau's character. And I, I, that those are the kinds of wins I think are the kind of the most fun to watch, are the ones where even the competition are happy for the player that wound up getting the win that day. Amen. And, and you saw the same thing with uh, uh, Keith Mitchell and Pat Perez yesterday because uh, Pat knew exactly what those three birdies down the stretch meant for Keith Mitchell. Um, yep. And I think there's a lot of class in that, and I think that it just shows that a lot of these guys, you spend so much time together, um, you really do develop friendships, and you spend more time with some of these guys than you do your own family. But for JT also, I mean, he's been on so many of these teams and will be on so many of these national teams with Tony Finau, and he knows how badly he has wanted this second win and this knock on him that he can't get over the hump and he can't get over the hump. And trust me, there's not going to be people that say Tony Finau can't win on Sundays. It takes Mondays. Um, you know, and and that's just kind of the way the ball bounces sometimes. But great point, bringing that up, and and JT to be there, uh, to you know, even 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 when it wasn't official, to dap him up and and give him that hug. There there's a lot of respect out there for Tony, and 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 that's a great point you bring up. Ryan Ballinger from the Golf News Net is with us, and um, you you are a Baltimore area resident. You are. Um, somebody who has played Caves Valley, give us the overview. You said that, that they can make it tough with thick rough and all sorts of things, but what's the general um, you know, kind of um, sense of the course? Is it tight? Is it open? Is it, 
you know, is it uh, uh, slopey? Is it not slopey? You know, just kind of describe Caves Valley for the folks out there. Because this is not only first time at a course, but it's not like they're going to Cypress Point. I mean, this is a very mysterious course that not a lot of people know about. I think people are going to love Caves. I, I've played it twice. I love playing there. I've had tremendous uh, fun there playing Caves Valley a couple different times. It is a super private place, um, probably one of the more private, genuinely private clubs in the Baltimore area. There aren't a ton of those. Uh, Baltimore Country Club is the highest ranked in the area, probably in the state, behind congressional. Um, that's even more accessible to the public than Caves Valley is. Jeez, um, okay then. This is, kind of, this is kind of a baller club, like this is new money rich club. Yeah. Um, it's a Fazio which is why I think if you're trying to look for a parallel this week, you might want to look at Quail Hollow, given the work Fazio's done there. Um, maybe even Augusta National, given the work Fazio's done there. But um, it, this golf course has a lot of land movement to it. And it's kind of surprising if you know the Baltimore area, where you, which you kind of think of as a little bit more of a flatter piece of, uh, of the world, but it, it really isn't. There's actually surprising amounts of hilliness. But... Um, there's a lot of good land movement from Cheetah Green on a bunch of different holes. They have flipped the nines uh, playing this competitively compared to what the members would play it. So 10 is 1, 1 is 10 uh, this week. And the golf course does really make a lot of kind of dramatic elevation changes throughout. Um, there's plenty of tree-lined fairways. There's also plenty of room to hit the ball. I think it's pretty generous off the tee for, a, for world-class players. It's not wide open. It's not super wide open. But it is open enough that you can kind of play this golf course more or less how you see fit. Um, and I think that works to these guys' advantage. And if, the, if you watch the senior players, I think it was 2017 or 18, when they had it at Caves Valley, they tore it up because not only the they not play it at 7,500 yards like they will this week, but this golf course is very easily gettable. It's like, again, like Quail Hollow. If you play really well from Tia Green, you've got really good opportunities to score, um, and the golf course will give you plenty of chances. There are some short par fours, assuming they keep them short this week. They're short enough. Uh, so they're semi-drivable, not necessarily drivable, but you could get awfully close. And maybe if you tag one, get on. Uh, the par threes are going to play really long this week. Uh, they they play long for when I played it, uh, and they they've stretched out to the back tee. So a lot of the par threes are going to be 220, 230, 240. Um, one is dramatically downhill. Uh, one of them is semi downhill. I mean, they're 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 not as necessarily scorecard long, uh, playing that long. And then the par fives are really somewhat of the defense of the golf course against par, given the yardage that they're playing at. They're longer. They're 550 to 600-ish probably for the, the best players in the world. So you can get there, but you're going to take on some risk in doing it. And then there's a really good mix of par fours, some that just demand two really good shots and some where you can, you can be creative and, and or aggressive and, and try to score. Uh, again, it all kind of comes down to what they have chosen to do with the setup. Have they have they pinched fairways? I've heard that they have compared to the Champions Tour. Um, my guess is that they've grown out some rough, not only because they want to make this a little bit more difficult against par, but also we've had a ton of rain here recently, so I would assume that they've kind of grown 
greens aren't all that punishing. Uh, again, if you get into good spots, if you get uh, where you're supposed to go, you're going to get good looks. So tee to, off the tee is important. Second shots are important. But for a lot of these guys, I don't think putting is going to be a huge, huge challenge this week. Ryan Bounds, you with us and teeing it up. You talked about flipping the nines. There are times that the, that nines get flipped for logistical reasons, um, infrastructure reasons. Then there's times where nines are flipped because of drama and it just makes more sense. Um, you look at Austin Country Club. You look at East Lake as you know, kind of two examples of nines that are flipped because the more dramatic holes happen to happen on what is usually the front nine. Um, what is the theory behind flipping the nines, if you happen to know what that theory is? I don't know the exact theory, but my guess is that the, the way they've set it up, nine is a more interesting hole, for nine for the members, is a more interesting closing hole because it leads back up to the clubhouse. It kind of leads to an amphitheater type area, so it's probably better for watching, probably a better environment for TV. Um, the final three holes aren't necessarily all that difficult, I don't think. I mean, seven's a pretty good hole, uphill tee shot, eight's a par three that is pretty demanding, especially at the length they're going to play it. And nine's just a, it is a tight landing area, especially if they make it even tighter this week. You kind of have to work your ball a little bit to feel comfortable. So uh, I think it's just really more the finish going up to that little amphitheater type area more than anything compared to not a lame hole, but by comparison, not as dramatic looking for TV. Uh, joined by Ryan Ballinger here on Teeing It Up. Uh, thank you for that, and thank you for, for giving us an overview of um, kind of what people should expect uh, when they sit down uh, to watch coverage uh, come Thursday on Golf Channel over the weekend on Golf Channel NBC. Um, when you get a new golf course, uh, a lot of times guys, you know, this time of year, they're, they're trying to conserve energy. It's hot. It's the summer. They've just come off a long week. They try to play nine a day. Uh, you know, you're somebody that plays a lot of golf and you're a low handicapper. As somebody, and, and not that you exactly can put in your shoes um, the, uh, you know, how a PGA Tour player thinks. But is this going to give an advantage to somebody who happened to miss the cut or took the week off? Um, Phil, Louis Oosthuizen are the first two names that came to mind. Um, or can some of these guys who are coming from Liberty National, um, you know, learn it fast enough to make a difference this week? I think for these guys, again, it all depends on how they set it up, right? Um, and I keep going back to that because of the way I was surprised about Olympia Fields last year. Right. If they if they make it scorable, you know, if they're not trying to protect par, if they're not trying to protect the integrity of the golf course against par, I don't think it's really all that hard to learn. Um, the, there are a couple, again, like I said, there are a couple dramatic downhill shots. There's a, the, what's the 12th hole, the third hole that they're going to be playing is a, a par three that, I mean, it goes 50, 60 feet downhill type shot. That's something you're going to have to learn with a, you know, a couple of balls. Um, you're going to have to learn some landing areas. The next hole after that par three is a par five that's 600 yards, but it goes out right and curls back left. So can you carry the dog leg uh, and where do you land that ball? Um, 
the next hole after that is a really sh- short par four by this course's standards, 350, with a kind of forced dog leg with uh, really tall trees. But for someone like Phil, who you brought up, who has a really high apex on his drive, could he smash it over those trees and set himself up with a flip wedge or less into what is a pretty small target? Again, you got to figure out that game, that strategy pretty quickly over the next couple of days. Um, I guess that those are the, the the lines are really the thing you've got to figure out if you're a professional in 48 hours worth of practice, and I, I think most of them are going to be successful with that. It, it it's not there's nothing deceptive about Caves Valley. Fazio isn't that kind of guy, uh, an architect. It, it's it's there. You you'll see it. It's just you're going to have to figure out for yourself whether you can pull off the lines you want to want to pull off. Um, and then learn the greens a little bit, like I said before. They're not particularly crazy. Uh, there are a couple with some undulations that kind of use that as defense, and there are some tiers and things like that. But, again, these guys are really, really good. So versus you and I where we would be like, oh, my God, a lot to figure out. For them, they have the accuracy and skill to be able to, to pull it off within 48 hours, I think. So I don't think they're going to be all that surprised by what they see. I'm sure they've kind of had some – advanced scouting by somebody who does the green books or things like that to give them kind of an idea of what to look for. Uh, and maybe even a few of the guys have picked the brains of Champions Tour players. Again, thinking about Phil. Maybe he's done that. Maybe he hasn't. But uh, I, I don't I don't think usually a, a world-class golfer has a hard time learning a golf course given them enough preparation time. Two days, I think, is enough. Right. Ryan Boundry with us and on uh, teeing it up, a uh, Baltimore area resident who has played Caves Valley besides also joining us routinely from the Golf News Net. Um, Victor Hovland needs a new putter. Um, so he's got some extra work to do. Um, but top 15 in these standings, Finau, Rom, Cam, Cantlay, JT, Morikawa, Spieth, Harris English, Bryson, Answer, Louis, Burns, Xander, Hovland, Kepka, um, you talked about the Quail Hollow, uh, you know, uh, comparison. JT's won there. Um, it's a golf course that would seem like a very John Rahm type place. Seems like a Jordan Spieth place. Yet Jordan had two triples in a row yesterday. So who knows what happened on that front? Um, as you look at this top fifteen. Is there a name that kind of sticks out besides Rom that like is hmm? This is an interesting course because, to my eye, as you were describing it, the one name that popped out immediately is Xander Shoffley. Yeah, I think Xander could like this golf course quite a bit. I was drawn to Victor Hovland again. He he seems to like Quail Hollow quite a bit. Seems to have an eye for maybe uh, Fazio designs or Fazio influence. So I think that's someone to look at. Uh, Once he gets his putter I- fixed. <laughs> right, yeah, I mean, and that's the variable with him. I mean, the, the thing I think I'm emphasizing this week is tee to green play more specifically. I think you got to be able to be aggressive off the tee on this golf course. At this yardage, if you can be successfully aggressive, you can cut off a lot of the yardage. You can, you can go for par fives and two. You can do all the things that make it way easier to score. If you're not accurate off the tee on a 600-yard par five, it's going to be way harder for you to get there and do, if not impossible. So I think that that is going to be the big test for me. So when I was looking at, at guys to love this week, I was looking at guys that, one, hit the ball kind of high with their tee shots, uh, but also long. 
So that brings in guys like Rory McIlroy uh, to a degree, Jason Kopak, although he's struggling uh, a little bit lately. Uh, just guys who gain strokes off the tee really well because then they're going to put themselves in position to score. And I think that's going to be important on this golf course. Uh, Justin Thomas is great from tee to green. Obviously seems to have found something maybe with the putter. Um, given the way that he played at Liberty National, I mean, you got you got to be able to make putts to be able to score. Yeah. So I think he could be a, a strong candidate this week. And I don't know how you don't like guys like John Rahm and Colin Morikawa everywhere because they're just all around great right now. So um, John Rahm, I'm doing I'm looking at the betting odds for for this week. John Rahm is six to one to win. I mean, that's that's kind of ridiculous, given that yeah, he is probably the best player in the world right now but against a field like this that just seems kind of outrageous so it, I, I but I do think Rom's game is going to travel very well Xander's second on the board he always seems to like these kind of big game events uh, he seems to get behind them and he, he played pretty well at, at Liberty National I mean not his absolute best but I think he's still probably riding high from the Olympics and He's playing solid golf overall, so it's kind of hard not to like him. And then Justin Thomas is 22. Brooks Kepka, you brought up. Again, big guy who gains a lot of strokes off the tee. Uh, I think that will serve him very well this week. I'm curious, what's Colin? Because he's apparently nursing a back injury. Um, so that's a factor here. 20 to 1. So that's, I wouldn't, I, I think without the back injury, he's probably in the 16 to 1. 14 to 1 range probably so maybe they're because we don't I mean we don't have an injury list in golf which is unfortunate but we we really don't know how bad it is so uh, I think you kind of stay away from Morikawa even at 20 to 1 unless all of a sudden he says in some kind of pre-tournament remarks hey my back feels great um that's just me personally but it, it even even with the known injury he's still third on the board uh behind Rob and Shoffley um you talk about golf's injured list. Unfortunately, that includes Patrick Reed, who has bilateral pneumonia. Um, all the best to him. That is a nasty, nasty thing to have. If you know anybody in your family who has had it, it is brutal. So all the best to Patrick in his recovery um, from that. He's currently in a Houston hospital, hopes to be discharged in the next couple of days. What is interesting to me about this is that he said the ankle's okay, and it would seem to me as we're nearing a Ryder Cup that he would, if he can get cleared, um, he is in a position where he would become a captain's pick, assuming the ankle's okay, because I, I think once he's cleared to play, then, then you could assume the lungs are okay. You look at these Ryder Cup standings, um, and there's some pressure on some guys. Um, to play well and clinch this spot. And I just wonder, there, there's a lot of different agendas going on here. People trying to make the top 30, people trying to get in position to have the best rankings going in the East, like people trying to get top 30 because of everything top 30 gives you in terms of getting into events. And then you look at these uh, standings and you look at the fact that you're gonna have six captain's picks if you're Steve Stricker and right now it's uh, Colin, DJ, Bryson, Brooks, JT, and Tony 
who are in the top six, Colin and DJ have clinched. I don't know if anybody else clinched. Uh, top three, four, top five, I believe, have clinched. Okay, so that means Brooks Bryson and JT have clinched. But you look at somebody like Jordan Spieth, you know, at some point you get to the Phil factor. And with Strix, dare to leave Phil off. Phil has basically said, I might decline a spot if I don't feel like I'm playing. Well, I have a hard time believing that. But the problem is that if he does that, um, you've got some guys. You look at Xander and Cantlay and the way that that pairing was in the President's Cup. I mean, that's such a lethal pairing. And you just start trying to piece together who can handle who and, and who can play with Bryson and, and be and handle everything that Bryson is for the American squad. There's some, you know, and, and for those who don't know out there, the points close after this week. Reed's health becomes a very interesting factor here as to who winds up playing with who, I think, um, and how Strix goes about these picks. Yeah, that's the big question to me is what what is his methodology for picking six guys? Is it going to be all one rubric? Is it uh, you know hot hand? Is it I'm just going down the standings? Is it some kind of camaraderie thing, matchup thing, team thing? Uh, will he pick some from with different reasoning? Like, okay, well, so and so is a hot hand. I'm going to pick them. Uh, you know, two of them, and four of the six are otherwise just going to be the next people on the list. Um, is he going to honor the original methodology? Is, is it going to be eight? Is he going to view it as, all right, I'm, I'm going to give the top eight, so I'm going to just gift the, the next two positions, seven and eight, a, a pick because that's how we were going to do this. And now that we're not doing this in an emergency situation, given the way that it changed things last year, I'm going to honor that. So now I have four picks. Here's my four picks. Uh, so I think there's a, that, to me, is the most interesting part of all this, which is part, also partially why I secretly think that it should just be 12 captains picks every time and just let chaos reign. But um, I do believe there's probably going to be some degree of honoring the original system. That, that's my guess, and in part because... If you look at the standings, I don't know how you don't do that for for some of it, right? I mean, if you're looking at the American rankings and the, the Ryder Cup people did put out today, the, the top five are in the bag. So anyone else who could still potentially qualify, uh, those are the, the people who are going for one spot this week. And Finau sitting in that driver's seat. You, you figure Finau's probably going to get a – if he's not – in somehow at points he's gonna get a pick right i mean he won recently so that that's probably something stricker is going to reward him with uh, if he somehow got booted out in the final week uh, of qualifying after this two-year qualifying three-year qualifying window yeah so then you've got xander you got spieth you've got harris english patrick reed is certainly a question mark and then cantley burger um i feel like you have to pick xander he's the olympic champion that there's no way that Steve Shooker's not honoring that. I don't care where he lands the end. Yeah, and it's also just a fluke thing. That, that Look, you, there's just some guys, you know, to your point about going seven and eight, there's guys that just, like, could be separated by, you know, 
40 points, 50 points. It's not their fault that the system had to be changed. <laughs> right, and you've got Spieth in there. I mean, he's gained tons of strokes all season long. He's playing as well as he did in 2017. And obviously not a major, but did have a win. Really is playing consistent, beautiful golf. Yeah. He's a good match play player. He seems to have found someone almost every time out that he can bond with in the team matches. So I think you have to pick him. And has he's played Whistling Straits well. If you go back to 2015. So playing for three spots. Right, and if you go back to 2015, he was in that uh, duel with, um, you know, Jason Day at the PGA at Whistling Straits. And Ryder Cup set up like the PGA, uh, sorry, uh, the the Ryder Cup is also set up by the PGA of America. So we'll see what Kerry Haig uh, decides to do on that front. Here's one other X factor, and that's Will Zalatoris, who, and I just checked, he has not entered the European Tour event in Switzerland this week. He's nursing that back injury from the Open. He played a couple times in the PGA Tour, failed to get the win that he needed to qualify for the playoffs, and openly considered going to Europe. He did not play last week. He is not in the field this week. He said he would listen to his body and listen to what the doctors said. That, to me, is another X factor because if, for example, Reed can't go, Spieth and, and Will play a ton of rounds uh, back home. So they know each other's games better than basically anybody else on this list. So there's a factor as well as do you trust Zalatoris' back? Right. Yeah. And I, I feel like that's kind of waned at this point. I, and I don't know why I feel that way, but <laughs> we just haven't been talking about Will Zalatoris that much yeah. uh, compared to earlier in the year when it was like, okay, this guy could be a non-member in, or a, uh, not officially yet a member and get on the, the Ryder Cup team. Um, I, I think it would be unlikely that he would get a pick at this point, but does Reed potentially not being healthy enough to do this, although I think he will be um, in the end, does that mean you have Zalatoris as kind of your backup pick. I mean, in the standings, he's 22nd. You'd have to go over all kinds of guys uh, yeah. to do it. You'd have to go over... Scotty Scheffler. I mean, there's a big kind of public campaign for him. You'd have to go over Sam Burns, who's had been great. You'd have to go over Scotty Scheffler, who's been incredible in the majors this year. You'd have to go over uh, Daniel Berger. You'd have to go over Patrick Cantlay. Horsham. Uh, I don't. I don't know how you make that leap. I mean that that seems that seems like a lot at this point. But again, he also didn't really have much of a qualifying period. If you took what he has accomplished, he has sixty four hundred points, which puts him at twenty second place. And let's just say, for argument's sake, that he would have done half as well because that's about half the number of points in the the prior qualifying period had he been a PGA Tour member. Well, he's twelfth or thirteenth. Yeah. Okay. Now you could make uh, you could make a case for him if you think about it that way. But I don't know that Stricker will. So I feel like nine spots are safe. You're playing for three. I would think Scheffler's got to be in the running. I would think had Cantlay and Berger are as well. And I mean, I, I could see cases for other guys, of course, but I think Al Torres is a fourth or fifth place contender in that kind of three spot race. Kevin Kisner could do himself a whole lot of good if he wins this week or next week. 
if he makes it to yeah, East. Yeah, like, I mean, if he wins, I mean, if, if any of these guys win, I feel like it, it's like a win and in. Obviously, Zalatoris can't win it in because he's not playing. But, uh, and that's his disadvantage. But if someone like Kisner wins or uh, you know, any, basically any of these guys coming down to fill at 19 in the standings, uh, so that's Kisner, Burns, Kokrak, Horschel, Scheffler, Webb, Berger, Cantlay. I mean, if any of those guys win an event, I feel like that's that's an auto pick at this point. Yep. I am with you wholeheartedly on that. Ryan Balanchy, thank you, as always, for coming on Teeing It Up. My pleasure. And thank you all for listening to Teeing It Up with Jeremy Schilling. <laughs>